You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. Today you guys are going to be in for a, a special treat. You get to listen to me babble on about science. Um, Hopefully, we'll keep this to a reasonable amount of time. I am told I talk too much sometimes. Um, and hopefully, hopefully this, this makes a little bit of sense because this is something that we've actually been utilizing for the last few months uh, with Precision Powerlifting Systems. There's a group that's competing in a few days. So you hear this on Thursday. They're competing Saturday and Sunday up in New Hampshire. And everyone had a really good test. In fact, literally five minutes ago, Dave Rockledge down in Florida pulled the first ever 700-pound deadlift uh, for our team. So uh, it's safe to say what we're doing is actually working. I'm going to go into some detail on that whole the whole system. I know I've mentioned on social media a few times about the precision sets that we're using. Hopefully, this makes those make more sense and kind of gets into the nitty-gritty scientific details of why we're doing it and why it's been so effective. Um, so we'll dive, we'll dive right in because I know I'm going to uh, probably make Alyssa mad and have to listen to me talk longer than what she would actually prefer. So we'll get right into it. So basically, this was about a year ago. I was trying to come up with a way in which I could monitor each lifter's progress. Uh, kind of know when I could push training, when we had to back off and find everybody's sweet spot, so to say. So what I tried to do is I tried to use RPEs and accumulate points. So basically what would happen is if we had five sets of three on the squats, let's say at 80%, uh, they, were, they would give me an RPE feedback for each set. So let's say the first set, they gave me an eight. The second set, they gave me an eight. The third set was a nine, the fourth set was a nine, and the fifth set was a nine. So that first set would determine their kind of like baseline level. So that RPE eight. So everything that was an eight would accumulate zero points. Any set that was above that would accumulate some points. So where a nine was the third, fourth, and fifth set, that's an increase of one for three sets, so that'd be three total points. My goal with this was to be able to take this data, figure out, where fatigue would accumulate so much that it would hinder performance and be able to tread that line of where we kind of push training, but we're able to recover and we're able to hit our biggest lifts on the platform. However, that didn't go as planned. We did this and it was probably the worst test that PPS ever did before a meet. There weren't that many PRs. Um, it just, it, it did not go well. Um, you know, shame on me in a way, because I thought I was coming up with something that like I just created. And it's like, how has nobody ever thought of this before? But apparently my, my Google search skills weren't as good as I thought that they were, because there is a lot of science out there that actually um, has been analyzing this type of athlete monitoring. So Dr. Mike Amato, who's, he's my boy. He's who all of our athletes that's who I refer them to. Um, he's down at the Prue in Boston for joint ventures. 
his info is on the website. I encourage you to look him up if you have any any little nagging things going on. Like it's important that you have a team that everybody's on the same page. And, you know, this even covers the recovery aspects because if he's saying one thing and I'm thinking another, their training is going to be hindered. Um, so if you're a lifter, he understands the sport. Uh, he'd be somebody to definitely talk to. But he introduced me to this concept known as the acute chronic workload ratio. So he sent me a few studies. Um, primarily, there was one guy. So Tim Gabbett is his name. He seems to be the one to go to for the majority of this information. And basically, the acute chronic workload was doing the same thing that I was trying to do, except they were obviously much smarter than I, than I am. So the goal of any type of athlete monitoring system is we're trying to increase performance while decreasing injury risk. And for a long period of time, and I think this is still around in the fitness field, there's always, you know, the biomechanical approach that, you know, if you're moving like crap, you're more apt to get injured. So if you fix your, your movement, then injury risk decreases and performance will be enhanced. But that's a bunch of bullshit. That's not how it works. Um, it's just a way that people can sound smarter than what they really are. What research suggests is that it's whether the athlete is actually prepared for the workload in which you're asking them to partake in. So that becomes more of a factor in injury risk than a biomechanical approach. So this is something that we've kind of adopted over the, over the last few months with our um, training, which I'll get into a little bit more. Um, so let's kind of look at the acute chronic workload. So the chronic workload is basically a snapshot of what the athlete has done for the previous four weeks, Okay. This is their fitness level. So over the course of four weeks, we train. So let's say the athlete trains four times. So that the volume, so the total weight lifted. So that's what I'm using for the data here. Um, of the last 16 training sessions, we take an average of that. And that's basically their baseline fitness level. So we have this number. And we don't want to get too far away from this number, either up or down, because if we go too far up, then we run the risk of injury. If we go too far down, we run the risk of undertraining and losing some of the physiological adaptations that we've built up over the previous training block. And that's what the acute training load is. It's a snapshot of the seven days. So it's basically the fatigue level. How much is that athlete doing and asked to do in this week? And is it too far away from baseline, either up or down, that it's going to hinder training in a, in a negative manner? So it's, it's commonly understood that training load injuries are, lar are largely preventable with athlete monitoring. This is why monitoring has become such a big topic in professional sports. Um, the more athletes are readily available and the more minutes they can play, the better the team should be at the end of the year with a win loss record. Now the thing is like field sports are much more complex than powerlifting. Powerlifting is a pretty simple sport. The injury rates, um, I'm citing this off the top of my head. So this may be off by a little, but I think it's about four injuries per thousand hours, which puts this sport far below many others in terms of injury risk. So 
I'm, I'm not too sure. I need to nail down exact numbers here to keep with uh, injury risk. And it just makes it a lot easier for us to utilize in, in our sport, I believe, because of this. There's going to be far less going into it uh, for us because we know what the load is. I'm using total training volume. So the amount of weight, like the tonnage lifted in each training session. So I know that it's a lot harder, you know, with field sports, they might have to use GPS. They might have to do some type of foot contacts with jumps. I'm not, I'm not sure how they're measuring some of this data, but it's going to be far more complex. So what I do, I take the full, the rolling volume for those four weeks, we average it out. So let's actually, let's go through one here. So let's say week one, they get 20,000 pounds of volume. I'm, I'm making these numbers up too. Week two, they get 22,000. Week three, they get 25,000. And then week four is a lighter week and they get 18,000. So that gives us 85,000 pounds in that 28 day period, that four week period. And then what we would do is we would divide it by four, the number of weeks. So our baseline, our chronic fatigue, I mean, our chronic workload is 21,250 pounds. Okay. So that, that's going to be that, that bottom number. So that's our baseline. So if we get too far over it, we run the risk of injury. If we get too far under it, um, we run the risk of under training. Okay. So research has been pretty consistent with where this ratio needs to be for each, for each athlete in multiple sports. So I know like rugby, soccer, um, it was mostly done on European athletes, but there were about five or six, I think field hockey was one of them, other sports, and they all have the same ratio. So the acute chronic workload ratio in team sports, that sweet spot where you want to be to make sure that you're resilient to injury and you're going to increase performance is between 0.80 and 1.30. So if we go back and we look at our 21,250 pounds for our chronic workload, and we want to ask the athlete to do 25,000 pounds in this work week, we would take 25,000 pounds and divide it by 21,250 pounds, and we get a acute chronic workload ratio of 1.17. So that puts us within that sweet spot. Okay. But for right now, all we're looking at is training volume. So we're not looking at other factors. So keep that in mind as we kind of work through this. So if if we're looking at a, let's just kind of put it into context here. So it makes a little more sense. So if we're looking at a lifters training block and we want to have a heavy week, that 25,000 pounds is getting pretty close to the upper upper end of it. So that'd be a good heavy week to throw in there. We know the athlete is prepared to handle that amount of work. Um, if we wanted them to deload, we got to make sure when we do that ratio that it doesn't get below 0. 0.80. Cause even for a seven day period, you don't want to be that far away from baseline and lose everything that not everything, you don't lose everything, but you don't want to begin to lose some of the fitness that you've built up over, over that previous block. So even on a deload, you should just be at the lower end of that acute chronic, uh, workload ratio, unless you're coming up to a meet coming up to a meet is a completely different scenario here. Okay. So the evidence let's, you know, I had mentioned earlier that a lot of other coaches will blame biomechanics for 
injury rates and decreased performance. And I do think biomechanics plays a role in performance. Um, technique is extremely important from that aspect. I also think, you know, the better your technique, you'll probably be able to handle more volume because you're going to be able to disperse that volume over a larger area of the human body, like more joints. Like for example, if you're deadlifting and your knees are basically straight at the bottom, I know nobody deadlifts like that, but just for an easy example, it's basically all back. But if you get your hips lower and you can get your quads involved in there, you can get the glutes involved a little bit more. You now have more muscle. So you're, you know, you're taking that volume and you're just able to spread it out over multiple joints. And I think it allows you to handle a little bit more in that regard. So proper technique not only will make you lift more weight, it'll make you be able to lift more times in the gym so that you can actually get the results that you're looking for. So in terms of like injuries, what the evidence actually suggests is that both physically hard and accumulating physically hard training are protective against injuries. I'm going to repeat this one more time because this is extremely important that the evidence suggests that both physically hard and accumulating physically hard training are protective against injuries. So if you're trying to do less in the gym to prevent injuries, you're probably doing it wrong because you're setting your baseline too low and the athlete will not be able to handle what you're going to ask of him at some point. So what this is saying is as training should be hard and it should continue to get harder over time, but you need to do it in a intelligent manner there. You need to make sure you're monitoring what the athlete is actually prepared to handle and build it up over time, staying within that ratio to make sure that the athlete doesn't miss training days. Okay. That's basically what, what the evidence is suggesting there. Okay. Now, in terms I had mentioned like powerlifting compared to field sports, powerlifting is extremely easy in this aspect here because we know the loads of a powerlifting meet. They're not playing a, a, like the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs. They're not in a game like that. So we know that they're going to have nine attempts and we have a basic understanding of what they're capable of lifting, right? They're, you know, we know that we're going to open around 90% and then we're going to jump up to somewhere around 95% and then we're going to take a third attempt around 100% or whatever. Okay, so we kind of understand what the powerlifting meet entails. And so I use Borishiko has been the only coach I've ever had in this sport. So I've, I've worked with him for a long period of time and I use his recommended volumes uh, based off of lifter categories for all, all of my athletes. Uh, if you want to know more about this, I have a book on Amazon. I break down all of this stuff. Uh, there is some stuff that you can get online on his site at shikoprogram.ru. Um, a lot of like frequently asked questions and stuff are on there and there's, there's some good information there. So these, these are the volumes that they need to be able to hit that are recommended by him in order to put forth their best efforts at those powerlifting meets. Now I have a way of monitoring of what they're capable of actually handling. So if recommended volume for a lifter is around a thousand lifts and if an average intensity is always going to be around 70% plus or minus 2%. So if within those thousand lifts, I do the math at average intensity of 70% and it comes out to a volume that that lifter is not capable of handling. This is the first thing that we need to work on. This is more important than fixing technique off the bat. It's building their work capacity. So 
what we'll do is we will progressively load week to week until their volume is capable of hitting those recommended, even just the recommended minimums. Like we need to get up into that aspect. So before I work on fixing anything, I work on building work capacity. Now I'm not going to just let them lift like a bunch of assholes. I'm going to give them some, some relative feedback, but the primary goal of that training block is to build work capacity because that's, what's going to prevent injury first. And, you know, ultimately our goal is to put forth our best efforts on competition day. And in order for them to even get to that training level, they, they need to be able to, to train, with the required with the required numbers. So knowing what the athlete needs to hit in the gym for volume makes it easier also than field sports because you, you know you don't know a game could go into overtime there could be like a number of things we don't have that that same manner. And it also allows me to build their base in a safer manner because I don't push too much too soon because I actually have concrete data that I can follow. Now the tricky part is these ratios and stuff they're not going to be set the same for everybody. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of individual differences here and prior training history, injury history, training age, those things are going to make up uh, quite a big difference. So my goal with this is to be able to collect enough data on each individual athlete and figure out their own individual sweet spots. So I know the majority of research, like I was saying before, and we're using the same ratio, but between 0.80 and 1.30 is that sweet spot. I'd like to be able to narrow that down more for each individual athlete as necessary. Um, I think for them, it'd be, it'd be able to know, like if we know maximally how much we can actually push in the gym, I think that gives us quite a big advantage there. So it's not just, so I've been using training volume tonnage, like I was saying to calculate this number, but in the literature, acute chronic workload actually has other factors that tie into it. So some of the other factors, so they have external load. So I'm using external load as the tonnage is internal load. So basically like this even includes the athletes feelings, their perceptions, their beliefs, um, their overall stress levels. Like there are a number of things that go in here, but the problem with it is, is they are extremely subjective. So typically in the literature, they, for internal load, they look at heart rate, RPE, creatine kinase measures, and blood lactate concentrations um, to kind of get the data that they need to add into the equation for the athlete. So the problem with that is I'm not taking heart rate. I am done with RPEs after my last failed experiment. I think they're just too subjective and too all over the place for how we use them. I know other people use RPEs in their programs and they use it very successfully. I'm not knocking RPEs, but for our system, it doesn't work. Um, and I'm sure as hell not sticking people and getting blood lactate concentrations. So I needed to come up with a way that I can measure internal load and not have each athlete kind of tell me their feelings and use that for my data because it makes it, it just, it, it makes it all over the place. And it's hard for me to be able to narrow things down into the position that I, I need them to, to get the right performance parameters uh, to know where injury risk is at. So this is where exertion load comes in. So basically exertion load is how hard each rep is. So let's backtrack just a little bit. So exertion load plays a big role in our set and rep schemes. 
So if anybody's familiar with Boris Shiko's programs, you notice we don't do any eights or tens or sets like that. The majority of our work is done between three to six reps. And they're done at intensities. You know, it varies, but average intensity is 70% plus or minus 2%. It's heavier than it sounds because each set at 50% and higher is recorded into the, the total volume and the average intensity. So if we look at a set of 10 reps, the first few reps of a set of 10, because the weight is so light, the effort is very minimal. And you don't really have to put effort in until later on into that set. So if you do a set of 10, say maybe the last three sets you put forth in effort that is going to equate to strength gains. So, you know, say the first five or six reps, if you ended the set there, you'd have, I mean, you know, you can do at least five more, right? That's, it's not heavy enough to actually transfer over to strength gains. Now there are other things that a set of 10 can be beneficial for. So, you know, if you do sets of 10, I'm not, don't take it personally. Get your panties in a bunch. It's just we do things a little bit differently. So we want the majority of our sets to be within three to six reps with one to two, with one to two reps kind of in the tank. So if you're using RPEs, we're talking like RPE eight or nine. So that's where the majority of our work should be done because that's what actually transfers over to positive strength gains. So, you know, I know a lot of people will use sets of eights and tens, um, as a hypertrophy block because they want to build more muscle mass. Now, I do have a few issues with this. One, to actually build muscle mass takes time. So if you're doing a hypertrophy block of four to eight weeks, it's probably not enough time to actually put on muscle. Now, you may be looking at it over a more longer-term period. So if we have you know, eight-week hypertrophy blocks done three times a year, at the end of the year, you put on muscle mass. And I think that's a, a reasonable reasonable assumption. Um, but research done by Krieger, uh, a lot of research that it actually shows that the volume to build hypertrophy and strength is dose dependent on the number of sets with effort being associated with greater gains. So we're not necessarily looking for eight to 10 reps or eight to 15 reps or, or rep schemes in order to build hypertrophy and strength. What we're actually looking for is how many sets? So at the end of the day, your total volume is what matters, not how many reps you're doing per set and the effort that you're doing. So if you're doing a set of 10 and the effort on the majority of reps is minimal, I'm not sure it's going to build as much muscle mass and neither is Krieger's research as doing a set of three to six at a higher effort, you know, with one to two reps left in the tank. Uh, me personally, I've been with Boris for over about two and a half years now. I weighed about 170 pounds when I started with him. I'm 220 pounds and much thicker without ever doing sets greater than six for the majority, with the majority of the training within the three to six rep range. But there is quite a bit of effort. And that's what exertion load. So exertion load measures that effort. And internal load, an internal measurement, effort is an internal measurement. But again, like I was saying, I don't want them telling me their feelings and trying to use it to collect data because it does, it skews it too much. So, and it just, it, it ends up being all over the place and that's not what I'm looking for. So this is where our precision sets come in. Okay. So basically 
we tend to in our program, we have some standard sets and reps at, at a given intensity throughout the block. So for example, 80% for five sets of three. This is a pretty common set and rep scheme throughout. Let's say we're, we're doing the squats, but we'll do this intensity, these sets, these reps generally for all three, all three lifts. Because remember, three to six reps, right? So when effort becomes easy for these and our chronic workload has built up, we'll push these sets. So let's say I'm going to use, I'll use Nick because his numbers are actually pretty easy to see here. So Nick squats over 600 pounds, but we use 600 for his one rep max. So 80% is about 490, 500 pounds. It's somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. So if he takes that, you know, for a block, it's in there three times out of a four week block and it, it's looking good. It's looking fast and we kind of move it throughout. So, you know, he might do it as, as the very first exercise on day one, we might move it to his second squat day on day three. We might move it after bench. Um, we might do some triples and then hit some doubles at 85 and then back to triple. So I can kind of gauge under different circumstances how his 80% for five sets of three looks. So when I'm looking at it and it starts to become easy and I'm looking at our chronic workload and we're building volume progressively over time and I know we have some wiggle room within that acute chronic workload ratio, we'll push, we'll push these triples. So I'll have the lifter perform a heavy triple up to one to two reps in reserve. So then when he sees 80% for five sets of three, he's going to take a heavy triple up until it, you know, about one to two reps in reserve. Cause remember that's what we're looking for based off of the evidence for exertion load. So this set here, if we get it to that one to two reps, is in that sweet spot of Krieger's research where effort leads to hypertrophy and strength gains. So within these sets, too, when we're working up, I'm not looking for his eyes to start bleeding. There's going to be some technical breakdown here, but I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, this isn't gymnastics. We don't get scored on technique. We get scored on how much we actually lift within the rules of powerlifting. So obviously if the squats start creeping up and they're too high, that, that doesn't count. Like as long as it's following the rules of powerlifting and he is safe, then we are 100% going to push these sets here. So, you know, and I'm not looking for something that he couldn't complete for multiple sets, but I want it to be really difficult. So what I'm looking for now is that little bit of technical breakdown and some, some strain and some effort and moving forward, this number now becomes their new 80%. So every time they see 80% on their training programs, which is frequently, like I said, because this is something that kind of waves throughout the block, uh, they're going to use this new number. Okay. So it gives me, a monitoring tool as well. So this is kind of how I'm going to be monitoring their internal load. So let's say, you know, Nick's going through, he hits, you know, 530 pounds would be about 85%. So he will take 530 pounds at 80% instead. So we have that. And if there's 15 reps done with that 30 pounds, there's another 450 pounds of weekly volume being added to it. So we need to, make sh we need to make sure we are aware of that and we keep that in check, okay? So this is how we do that. 
So if in his program, it calls for him to hit 85%. What we do is we take 5% of his one rep max and we add it to the bar. So if he has a 600 pound squat, 5% would be 30 pounds. So if he's been using 530 pounds, it's 80%. We'd add 30 pounds. He'd take the 560 pounds for doubles. If it's less than 80%, he uses the true percentage based off of his one rep max. Okay, we do, not, we do not mess with those. So we're not adding weight to the lighter sets because basically what we need is we need enough heavy days to push training, average medium days to maintain what we've developed and enough lighter days for recovery. Like this, the recovery is still important. It's not like you can just keep pushing volume progressively over time. You're going to be okay. There will always be a breaking point. So you need to make sure you're, you're in control of all of that stuff. So, you know, like I said, if it's less than 80, he uses his true numbers for that. We do not go up um, for that reason. Over the block, what I'm actually looking for is I'm looking for the athlete to progress with these new numbers. Okay, so I should see their technique on these heavy sets clean up a little bit. I should see the effort begin to decrease a little bit over time. Okay, so this allows me to view their internal load with a little more assurance. So, because remember, effort is internal load. So, if their effort is less, that internal stress of that number is decreasing and everything is looking good, right? Because we're seeing performance increase. So, this is kind of like performance baseline. But if stuff is not going as well, um, if it's starting to look harder, um, nobody should be missing reps. So if we ever got near that, we would just lower weight anyways. And if we have to do that, what we'll do is we'll lower the weight. We might lower it for a period of time. We might really tweak the end of the week to make it lighter. We might just add in a light week after that week just to let them recover and then slowly build up that workload again over time. This, again, is going to be very individualized based off of the athlete. Um, and it requires a little bit more work on my part and just being very proactive and making sure I'm paying attention to, to what they're doing. So let's say, you know, Nick's crushing, crushing these. He doesn't have to take a step back. We're, we're nailing it right. Everything's looking good. We'll just continue to progress like that over time. But typically with a longer period of time, and this is kind of what I did with Kina is we push the squat for a period of time. And then once those precision sets, the hard triples started looking a little easier. Then we started to push the deadlift. I'm not too sure that it's a good idea to push multiple lifts at one time. One, because that's going to really increase that chronic workload quite a bit. And two, the squat and the deadlift use very similar muscles at the end of the day. So that can beat the lifter up just quite a bit in general. So once the squat got steady. Then we started to push the deadlift and uh, she ended up putting a ton on her on both of those lifts um, over a very short amount of time. So at her meet in December, she hit 270 on a squat and 287 on a deadlift. Uh, she's now squatted 300 in a pretty fatigued state and deadlifted 350 with 20 pounds less body weight. So we're seeing massive increases in total at a much lower body weight and relatively injury-free. Uh, she did get this little like shoulder elbow thing going on. So, you know, we used high bar squats for a week or two and it kind of alleviated some of the symptoms. So we didn't have any lost training days, but 
all of that data gets really important because it kind of helps me figure out how long, how hard, and how much kind of we're able to actually push it. And then, so when she started experiencing that, we, she's had a couple light weeks where high, we're doing high bar squats. So, you know, we take a step back and then we, we slowly build it back up. So something like high bar squats that she never does, it's awkward at first or requires a much lower training load. And that's something you need to pay attention to. Like if you're utilizing variations that the athlete can't use that much weight in, it's going to limit how much their chronic workload is going to be. So you need to be careful, like really pushing stuff. If you're using a lot of lighter sets and the total tonnage tends to be a little bit lower than what they're accustomed to. Um, but now that high bar squat's starting to build back up. And when we put the bar lower on her back, her chronic workload's going to be where it needs to be and she'll be prepared to hit training um, right where she needs to, to prepare for a meet in June. Um, but I do like the ability to actually see those sets and see progress because if, or even the lack thereof, because it lets me know kind of where we, where we go from there. So ultimately, like what I'm trying to get with this is if I can get the numbers dialed in for each lifter, I believe it gives us a true advantage over everyone. Um, if I know when and how hard we can push and everyone else is guessing, it's advantage us. If I know when we need to back off and how much we need to back off, and everyone else is guessing, that's advantage us. Like if we know when to, pro- when to progress training and by how much and everyone else is just guessing, like that, that's advantage us. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that you, you can get stronger really fast. Like you really can. Like I know, let's just take an RPE program where somebody's just, they're just constantly smashing PRs and they're using RPEs. And even, even if they have percentages attached to it, they, they're pushing those numbers and those percentages are just, they're constantly increasing. And there's a point where if you're getting so strong, so fast, there's going to be that breaking point. Cause at some point that acute workload is going to be higher than that chronic workload. And you're going to suffer a setback, right? There's, there's just no control over it. You're just using the subjective data, the RPE. So if you take, let's say, we'll just keep five sets of three at an RPE of nine. And you take, you know, 500 pounds week one, 530, but you really want to push it to 560 the following week. You want to touch 580. You want to post on Instagram. You can take 600 for a triple. It gets very easy for that, that workload to just get much heavier very quickly over time and then for you to suffer a setback and have, and have to come back to it. Um, so, but at the same time, like doing that, it gets people really strong, really fast. And there's, there are a lot of advantages to it. So if we can find a way to get the best of both worlds, like know when we need to push training, when we need to back off. Um, if somebody wants to go up, on a given week, if they're like, man, I'm feeling really good. I'd like to hit something heavier this week. I can look at their weekly training. I can plug in those numbers and I can see if they're prepared and ready to hit those numbers based off of the exertion load, right? So looking at all of their previous sets and the effort that they've put into those heavier sets and whether they're actually capable of lifting those heavier weights and also that chronic workload. So I know how much volume their baseline is and how much volume they are prepared to handle in a week of training. So 
hopefully, as I get this more dialed in, we can continue to see even better results. Like, you know, to bring it back full circle, I said when I was using the RPE fatigue points um, about a year ago that precision powerlifting had a pretty poor test for everybody that was competing. The exact opposite just happened. Uh, I have seven people competing this weekend in New Hampshire and the amount of increases on their total. And when you throw um, Kina and Dave in the mix too, like it's their totals have gone up more than I could have even anticipated. Um, Mike put 135 pounds on his total in four months and he was already qualified for nationals. So it's not like he was a beginner lifter. Um, Nick from nationals last year, put about 50 pounds on his total. Dave from Nationals has put from his total at Nationals, I mean, over 100 pounds. I think it's about 110 pounds. I'm doing the math quick in my head, so it might be a little bit off. But it's, it's at least 100 pounds. Like, the amount of progress that we're seeing is, um, it's pretty amazing. And, like, even Kerry just competed at the Arnold a month ago. And on Monday, so she's a 52-kilogram lifter. She squatted 281 at the Arnold, and she was taking 265 for three doubles um, at about a nine on Monday. So her squat's even moving in that short amount of time. So we're starting to see some like really good, steady progress. Um, and I do believe a lot of it is psychological as well. Like it, it does build a lot of confidence touching those heavy weights, and uh, you know we'll see how it continues to go. Um, I did do a video of that that'll be up on the about the precision sets that'll be up on the YouTube page. This podcast will go pretty well with it, at least having like a general understanding of where I'm coming from. And hopefully this made a little bit of sense. Um, yeah, and as I tweak it, I'll just continue to do I'll just continue to put more stuff out there as I continue to to tweak it. Um to be honest, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to share this stuff because I do feel this time I am extremely confident that this is going to work. So I kind of wanted to keep it to ourselves, but at the end of the day, I think it's great to get this information out there because I think it doesn't only hold true in the strength and conditioning setting, but physical therapy, like the acute chronic workload, I think is an important monitoring tool, um, no matter where you're kind of um, sitting within, we'll call it the fitness, the fitness industry. And it kind of, kind of helps, helps you understand what to do with each client athlete. Um, in front of you. All right. But that's, that's all I want to talk about this for now. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, KW can follow our team on Instagram, precision powerlifting systems, um, and stay strong, Boston.